Good morning. Welcome along to another Saturday Splash. You are listening to Rosie on Riverside. And you might have been listening into Fayon just before, who was really setting the scene with a good spooky, spooky theme, because, of course, it's Halloween coming up. We're absolutely loving Halloween this month, and we have another spooky week planned with my friend, Mike. Hello. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Great. Now... We this week we are going on a scare hunt. That's what I like to call it. Mm, yeah, we're going on a scare hunt. <laughs> um, so, first of all, let's let's find out a little bit about you, Mike, because I've I've asked you to come on today to help us with something quite particular. So, first of all, tell everyone a little bit about you. Uh, so, as you already know, my name's Mike. I am a science communicator, uh, and I love being in the outdoors, and I love this time of year. And, uh, yeah, I love monsters as well, so Halloween is right up my alley. And you, you do you like storytelling as yeah, well? Yeah, I love telling a good story, especially spooky stories. Spooky stories. Excellent. That is exactly what we love to hear. So we've got some spooky stories coming up with us today. Um, but... One of the things that about spooky stories, we've got things like monsters and kind of like mythical creatures. Am I right in thinking, Mike, that some of those monsters um, might have roots or like have started in actual creatures? Because here on the Saturday Splash, we love talking about nature. We love talking about animals and plants out there. So do some monsters actually link back to real life animals? Yeah, you might be surprised how often that can happen. Um, a lot of stories, myths, legends, they might have taken inspiration from things in the real world or things that people have mistaken for something else. Oh, amazing. Okay, and I think that's going to be our task today, isn't it? So you, you've prepared for us a few different stories, is that right? Yeah, so I've got a few extracts from some really old stories that describe a few different particular monsters. So I'm going to read those out on your challenge, Rosie, yeah. is to see if you can work out what the monster is that I'm describing. Okay. But then also what animal it might be linked to in the real world. So it might be maybe inspired by or share some traits with. Okay, and we, 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 you know this is a family show. How spooky is it going to get? Like, are the stories if they're quite old? Like, it sounds like they're quite ancient stories. Are they going to be super spooky, or we're going to be all right? Yeah, so they're a little bit spooky, but I think you'll be all right. I will give a disclaimer that the second story there is a little bit of gore in there. Okay. So just to pre-warn you, uh, if you're a bit squeamish, you might want to just switch that one off for ten seconds. But I'll give you a warning before we read that second one. Okay, so we should be fine. Family's listening along. It's not going to be too spooky, but we we want to kind of get people. A little bit, a little bit scared at least. Yeah, we want to get in the spooky mood. All right. Well, speaking of spooky moods, I think we should crack on with the first spooky story. So our challenge is to listen to the story, right, and try and work out number one what monster it is, and then number two what real life creature that monster might have been inspired by. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Let's start to get in the spooky spirit then. Oh. Okay. It was a monster of colossal dimensions, fully eight meters long. It was traveling backward with tremendous speed. 
It gazed with enormous staring eyes that were tinted sea green. Its eight arms, or more accurately feet, were rooted in its head. Its arms stretched a distance twice the length of its body and were writhing. You could plainly see its 250 suckers, arranged over the inner sides of its tentacles and shaped like semispheric capsules. Sometimes these suckers fastened onto the lounge window by creating vacuums against it. The monster's mouth, a beak made of horn and shaped like that of a parrot, opened and closed vertically. Its tongue, also of horn substance and armed with several rows of sharp teeth, would flicker out from between these genuine shears. Its unstable color would change with tremendous speed as the animal grew irritated, passing successfully from bluish gray to reddish brown. I gotta say, what a brilliant story reading. I'm feeling all spooky already. Yeah, gets you right in the mood. So what story was that from? So that was from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which was written by Jules Verne. Ah, so a story from quite a long time ago. Okay, so I think I know what this is. Mm -hmm. Because there was a few clues in there, a few big clues. Yeah. Um, first of all, I heard, like... It sounded like tentacles. I don't think you said tentacles, but it sounded something like tentacles, which made me think maybe some sort of squid. I also heard suckers. I heard about a beak-shaped mouth. Yep. And I heard about colour change. And all of those things, to me, we were talking about giant squids recently yep. on the Saturday Splash. So I'm thinking, could this somehow be linked to a giant squid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you've you've kind of hit all the points on the head. It does describe a giant squid. I think it's worth pointing out in the story it says eight arms or more accurately feet. Huh. But we wouldn't call those feet for a giant squid. So, um, but again, it's it's a story that's describing this monster. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a giant squid. And what is the is the monster a giant squid itself, or is the monster does it go by a different name? So in the story, it's known as the kraken. Ah. And it's quite likely to be a lot bigger than a, a giant squid. Um, so many cultures around the world have a myth or legend about tentacle beasts uh, bothering sailors um, and generally causing chaos on the waters. Um, but giant squid are very rarely seen uh, and they often, well, they do reside really deep down in the ocean. So you're very unlikely to see them. Um, what we think has happened with this story is that perhaps the partially digested or rotting remains of giant squid um, were washed up on beaches and people started to guess what they may be and this is maybe where these stories have come from. Um, and in fact in Norway the Kraken myth grew um, because washed up specimens were interpreted as messages from God or the devil and they sometimes called them sea angels, sea devils or sea monks. Um, if you're ever out on a boat on a sea, this is not something you need to worry about. <laughs> like I said, you, you're very, very unlikely to see a giant squid. Um, they're probably not big enough to take down a ship. I mean, it would depend on the size of a ship, but they're not as big as what is described in this story. Um, and as I said, they live really far down. So if you happen to see a giant squid on the surface, um, they can't get the oxygen they need there. So they're probably stressed they may very well be dying if you're seeing that seeing them at the surface so you're not in trouble so this whole story kind of it sounds like bits of giant squid turning up in places on beaches and people not really knowing what it is and therefore creating this mythical kraken monster story 
um, to kind of fill in the gaps where they didn't understand. Absolutely, it's it's kind of that age of story, isn't it? That you see something yeah. that you're not familiar with and it looks absolutely crazy. <laughs> What's this giant thing with all these arms everywhere? I've never seen anything in my life. It must be some kind of monster. Well, that is a very good spooky start for the day. I think we've got a few more stories coming up. See if you can guess what animal they're linked to. <laughs> Welcome back to the Saturday Splash here on Riverside Radio, where we are getting spooky again here um, in the studio with me, Rosie, and also our spooky storyteller for the day. Welcome back to Mike. Hello. Oh, that's good. We should that. Wait, we need more of that. Your spooky telling is that spooky. Ugh. All my words are getting spookily confused today. Your storytelling has been amazing so far, Mike. We've heard about um, the giant squid and the kraken. Do you have another story up your sleeves for us? I do. So I have another story, uh, a, a little bit of the Odyssey that was written by Homer. Okay. From a very long time ago. And is this the one that you said might be a little bit gruesome? Yes. So if you are a little bit squeamish... Maybe you don't want to listen to this one, but it's, it's not too bad. But just a pre-warning if you've got really long, young children, but it's it's okay. Okay, yeah, I, I think we'll give it a go. I, I think we're going to be um, good for that. And what we're trying to do is, number one, work out what monster it is that's being described, but then what mon- what real-life animal could that monster be linked to? Yeah. Okay, well, I like the sound of this. I'm getting myself ready. Um, let's set the scene. He was as tall and rugged as a mountain. One huge eye glared out of the center of his forehead. He didn't see us at first, but went about his business. The first thing he did was drag a huge boulder into the mouth of the cave. Twenty teams of horses couldn't have budged it. It was when he stoked his fire for the meal that he saw us. With that, he snatched up two of my men and bashed their brains out on the floor. Then he ate them raw, picking them apart and poking them in his mouth, bones, guts, and all. I see what you mean about the gruesome bit. A little bit, just a little bit. A little bit gruesome there. Okay, good story. Good story. Mm, Very good story. I have absolutely no idea what animal that could be linked to, but I think I do know what monster you were describing there. Okay. Um, it sounds like something really big, really large. Yep. Um, it was as big as a mountain. Big as a mountain, really, really strong. But what stood out to me most was that it's got one large eye. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So, if you're playing along at home, monsters that have one large eye leads me, it's got to be a cyclops. Absolutely correct. It is a cyclops. Now... What animal is that linked to, real-life animal? I'm trying to think of one, an animal that's just got one big eye. And I actually cannot think of anything that just has one big eye. It, it is a bit of a challenging one. Um, so I've actually got a photo here if you want a little bit of a clue. Yes, please. A photo of a skull. Okay. So let me show that to you and see if that helps. Okay, so what I'm looking at here, it's a, it's a big skull. Um, it looks like it's got one big hole in the middle of the skull. Mm-hmm. But then it's got two tusks. This is something that's got tusks. They're quite small tusks, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and 
I've seen things like this before. I've seen skulls before. Not that look exactly like this, but look similar. And mm -hmm. the tusks. Is this something to do with an elephant? It is. It is an elephant. And if, if we say, well, that middle hole is not necessarily an eye, it could be some other type of hole that you might find on their head. What could it be if you're talking about elephants? Ah, so that if I was thinking if that was a human skull, that's where the nose would be. Yeah. A nose on an elephant is one big trunk, right? Exactly. Is, so is that a, is the trunk the eye? Yeah, so the tr that hole is the trunk hole. It looks like an eye, it's in the centre, but that is actually their nasal cavity. So exactly like you said, we as humans have noses, there's where we breathe out of. That's where their trunk connects to their skull. Um, and uh, yeah, that is the skull of a dwarf elephant. So you were saying those tusks look a little bit smaller. That's why, because it's a dwarf element. So it's a smaller species. And how is that linked then to the cyclops? So kind of, as you said, that hole looks like an eye. So the, the story, the Odyssey, Homer, like written by Homer, that is a, a Greek story um, from a very, very long time ago, ancient Greece. Um, and what we think is that there was fossils of dwarf skeletons that were found around Italy and Greece. Um, and it's those discoveries that inspired these kinds of stories and these kinds of monsters like uh, a cyclops. Because a dwarf skeleton, um, dwarf elephant is not as big as the elephants that we know today so the skulls of a dwarf element looks about twice the size of a human skull which might lead you to think oh this could be a cyclops uh, and the ancient Greeks wouldn't have known what elephants were so they'd not seen them around to go oh well it's obviously an elephant so just like with people finding giant squid it's something they've not seen before what's this weird crazy thing with one eye that we've just found it must be a monster or a cyclops Amazing. I had absolutely no idea that, yeah, I guess it makes sense that, yeah, if you're not really sure what something is, you might make stories up, you might, yeah, and, and that's where the Cyclops, or yeah. we, we think where the Cyclops might come from. Yeah, and you might not necessarily know that you're, you're coming up with the story because you're just using the evidence that's in front of you, and if you haven't seen an animal with a trunk before, you'd be absolutely forgiven to think that was an eye. If I'd never seen it, well, I'd probably think that was an eye as well. Um, and that's what happened around Greece, and particularly in Sicily, where a lot of these uh, fossils were found. Amazing. Well, that's two monsters down so far. I think we've got time for one more. But first of all, let's have some music. To the Saturday Splash! <laughs> Welcome back. You are listening to Rosie here on Riverside Radio. And we've got Mike in the studio today. Still here. Still here. Just about because you have been spooking us out this morning. We're continuing our spooky October Saturday Splash theme. And today we are doing monsters and their real-life animal inspirations. So we've heard that Cyclops were kind of maybe based on dwarf elephants. Yep. And we've learnt that the giant squid inspired the kraken, which... Yep. Yeah. We've got one more. We do. One okay. more. So we're going to listen carefully, see if we can work out what animal it is... Oh, sorry, what monster it is, yep. and then what 
animal it's related to. Is this one super gory? Do we have anything to worry about? No, not really. This one's all right. It's just a little bit spooky. And are you, are you able to tell us what the store, like what book this is from? Or? So I can't tell you the name of this story because the name of the monster is in the name of the story, so I don't want to give it away. So I'll tell you afterwards. But it's from quite an old story? Very old story, yes. Okay, then. Well, let's set the scene. tall form turned upon him, and when he got a full view of the face, that face was one never to be forgotten. It was hideously flushed with colour, the colour of fresh blood. (gasps) The eyes had a savage and remarkable lustre, whereas before they looked like polished tin. They now wore a ten times brighter aspect, and flashes of light seemed to dart from them. The mouth was open. The lips receded much from the large canine-looking teeth. A strange howling noise came from the throat of this monstrous figure, and it seemed upon the point of rushing upon Mr. Marchdale. Suddenly, then, as if some impulse had seized upon it, it uttered a wild and terrible shrieking kind of laugh, and then turning, dashed through the window and in one instant disappeared from before the eyes of those who felt nearly annihilated by its fearful presence. Okay. A lot to unpack there. (laughs) That's a a tricky one. Yeah, that's a bit of a harder one. I thought I'd save the harder one for last. Okay, so I noticed that its eyes had changed, and it it seems like this one was attacking people. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be a big clue. Yeah. I think I heard something about canine teeth, which I think could be important. I think this is something that maybe has, like, it was a tall thing that kind of maybe sounds like it was a bit like a man or a human, but Mm -hmm. has super sharp canine teeth. So I'm wondering if the monster that this is, I really hope I'm right on this, the monster that this is linked to is... A a vampire? You are correct. Yes. It is a vampire. So this was from the story Varney the Vampire. Hence why I didn't tell you the name, because it would utterly destroy the game. Um, but yeah. Do you know what? I was really hoping that you would come up with vampires today. I had a sneaking suspicion that you would. Because, believe it or not, I've been doing my own research on vampires this week. Oh, really? Yes, and I want to turn the tables on you, if that's okay. Because I have been learning that, of course... Vampires are not real, but some of the things that vampires can do, some of the traits that they have, mm-hmm. are based on animals in real life. Yeah, there are some links there. Okay, so you, you seem like you might know. I'm going to test you. Okay. I'm Ooh, going to test you. Okay. What a dramatic twist. What a, a twist of fate. What a plot twist in our spooky Saturday splash. So there's lots of different things that vampires can do. I'm just going to pick out a few of them, right? Okay. So vampires are well known for drinking blood. Yes. And there are animals in the natural world that are real that do this as well. So can you and other people listening find that link between a vampire and a real-life animal in terms of drinking blood? Yeah, it's probably the thing that vampires are known most Mm. for, isn't it? Um, Yeah, well, I do know a little bit about there is a bat that is literally named after vampires because of this trait called the vampire bat. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. So the vampire bats are like tiny little bats. Um, they use infrared to find... They don't actually find humans, though. No. That's that's a big mis misconception. Yeah. They find things like livestock, cows, and this is in South America. And they've got... When they when they bite into the animal that they want to draw blood from, they actually in, inject a protein that stops the blood from clotting up. Mm -hmm. And scientists have called that protein... protein Draculin. I did not know that. They've named the protein after Dracula. How cool. But, okay, so I knew that you'd know bats. There are other animals that drink blood as well. Is there? Oh. Yeah. Can I think of another one? I'm not sure if I can. Too much pressure. I, I can't think of anything else. You're going to kick yourself. I Something that might be buzzing around on a hot summer. Oh, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. Of course. And if you think sort of like ancient medicine, something that might have been used to draw blood in old wounds in old yieldy times. Leeches. Leeches as well. So drinking blood actually found in quite a few different types of nature. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna I got another one that vampires can do. So yep, tick full points on drinking blood. Vampires are immortal. Yes, they are. I want you to have a little think about that. What what creature could be linked to that? Immortality in the natural world, something that really can do this. Have a little think about that, mm -hmm. and we'll come back. Hello, welcome back to the Saturday Splash here on Riverside Radio. You are listening to Rosie, and we are having a spooky time in the studio today. We're joined by Spooky Mike. Hello. Who's been doing the best storytelling and spookiness um, throughout the morning so far. And I had a little bit of a challenge there for you, Mike, because you've been challenging me on some of these monsters and myths and legends. But I wanted to turn the table and ask you about vampires. Yes, testing my knowledge. So the trait that vampires have that we're thinking about at the moment is immortality. Mm. And there is, believe it or not, something out there that kind of can do it Two, sort of. Have you got any ideas? Yeah, so I've I've got one idea that I think kind of fits this criteria, and it's literally called the immortal jellyfish. Um, I'm guessing is that the one that you're thinking of? I mean, yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. So I I first learned about this a few years ago now, but. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard about this for, for, for a long time. In fact, growing up, I'd never heard of it. But it's it's a type of jellyfish that can, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it can reverse its life cycle. So particularly if it's uh, in an area where there's low resources, so it's struggling to find food and the conditions are not favourable for it to survive, it can kind of just go, oh, I don't like this, so <laughs> I'm just going to go back. And it just reverts into what we call like a polyp, um, and then it goes back and it attaches itself, I think, to a rock, which is like its initial stage, um, which is almost like an egg. I'm not sure if it is quite like an egg, but it's like that initial stage. And it just goes back and then it just waits there until things get better. I can't remember if there's some kind of signal that allows it to, to realise that now's a good time. And then when it's ready, it will then just regrow back into the jellyfish. About, oh yeah, I'm back. I've got to oh, say, there's some food now. I'm really impressed by your off-the-cuff knowledge of the immortal jellyfish. That's pretty good going. I think you know more about it than I've, my research has led me into believing. You could compare it to, you're absolutely right, as far as I understand. You could compare it to almost like 
um, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Yes. Those different stages of an animal's life. But th this immortal jellyfish can almost go, oh, do you know what? I'm not doing too well, let's say, as the butterfly. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go pack to my caterpillar stage. And then yep. when things aren't going too well, that, oh, I'll go back to my other stage. Yep. So it can sort of flip-flop between these two types of its life almost indefinitely or until it gets eaten. Yeah. Yeah, it's not coming back from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are some other animals that live a really long time, though. Maybe not immortal, but there are some types of sharks, perhaps, that can live over 200 years, like yeah. the Greenland shark. And have you ever heard of water bears? I have heard of water bears, or otherwise known as tardigrades. Yeah, so these are tiny, tiny little... I believe they're animals, really, really tiny. You wouldn't be able to see them. But they can almost be, like, frozen and put on ice and kind of go into suspended animation and sort of be rewoken when conditions get right. So another yeah, little right. potentially immortal thing. There's even been experiments on them, I think, by various governments where they've sent them into space and they've even survived that. They've done well. Okay, maybe just like a vampire would. Maybe. Perhaps. But another thing that we know vampires, the mythical, the storytelling vampires, they don't like sunlight. Mmm. So that is something that we see a lot in nature. Can you think of any animals in particular that really do not like sunlight? Mm, yeah, that's that's an interesting one because animals don't wear sun cream like we do, so <laughs> they're not going to necessarily get burned. Well, but... I'm, I'm particularly thinking of an animal that is also, like vampires, quite pale, mm -hmm. enjoys sunlight, and is actually known for living quite a long time as well. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm struggling with this one because... I would say there's a whole host of animals that are not particularly fond of the daylight. Anything that's nocturnal doesn't really like to come out in the day for various reasons, because maybe they have really good eyesight and so they can see in the dark. Yeah. So if they come out in the day, it's just too bright for them. Things like naked mole rats, they live underground, where it's really dark. They're really pale. Um, that is, is that the one? That's exactly what I oh, was okay. thinking. <laughs> that's exactly what my reason. You're too good at this. You know your monsters too well. Yeah, what do you know about naked mole rat? Not a massive amount, if I'm mm. honest. I think they live in kind of family groups. Yep. Um, they're called naked roll mats. Naked roll... Naked mole rats, not roll mats, you don't do yoga on them, um, because they have no hair. That's right. And they look really wrinkly. Yeah. Um, they've got long protruding teeth. Yeah. Um, and they create burrows underground, I think. That's about I love how you say, I don't know much, but here's everything about them that you ever need to know. Yeah, they don't like sunlight, they live underground. You've got it absolutely right. And they can live a really, really long time as well. So. I didn't know that. Mm, they can live a pretty long how time. How long can they live for? I'll have to get back to you on okay. that one. My research did not extend quite that far. Okay, I've got one last one, one last feature of okay. a vampire that is true you can find out there in the world. I'll tell you what it is, and you can have a think and we'll come back. Mm -hmm. The ability, if you imagine a vampire in a film or something like that, um, if they get in a kind of tricky situation, they might be able to morph into a different type mm. of form, maybe into a bat, yep. for example. That's yep. one, one that you often see. Um, they often might use their cloak or like a, a vanishing act to kind of help them transform or morph into a bat. So there's not a creature that out there can transform into a bat, but there are creatures out there that can change their body shape, maybe mm. even use like a cloak or another means to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna leave you thinking of that one and we're gonna have some Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Welcome back, 
for the Saturday Splash where we were talking about vampires and in particularly that vampires, one of their traits is to either change shape, morph into a bat, or kind of use their cloak a little bit. So can you think of any real life animals that can do any of those things? Um, let us know. Yeah, so uh, I've got a few ideas. You mentioned a cloak, so I'm not sure on that, but um, animals that kind of change shape or change colour are some of my favourite type of animals. So just off the top of my head, I'm thinking chameleons, I absolutely love chameleons. They can change colour, really vivid colours, but they don't really change shape. Um, there are butterflies out there that can look like leaves. Um, and then linked to that, there are caterpillars like the elephant hawk moth caterpillar that I think you can find in the UK that can make itself look like a snake. Yeah. And there's a few different species that can do that, caterpillars. Um, but I think my main guess would be cuttlefish and octopus because they can not only change colour, but they can use their arms and tentacles to actually make themselves look like different shapes. They can make themselves look like rocks. There's uh, an octopus called the Mimic Octopus that can make itself look like different species of sea creatures to try and throw off predators and prey. So I think that's what I'm going to go with my guess. It doesn't have a cloak, but... No, you're absolutely right. And do you know what? Some species of octopuses, um, I think there's a vampire squid. that I think it's called vampire squid, and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, actually, because the its tentacles are joined That's right. almost like it is a cloak. So, yep, you're absolutely right. I should have guessed that one. Yeah, no, no, I think you're totally right. They're animals that can change shape. But there is another animal that I found out researching this, and I'd never heard of this before. It's so cool. Um, they almost use as a cloak as well. It's something called a black heron. Okay, so I want you to imagine a black bird that is wading in the water, mm. and it wants to hunt the fish that's underneath the water. Now, I want you to imagine that this heron now takes its wings and sort of opens them up and puts it over its head, almost to create like a black cloak around its head. Right. And then it stalks the water. And it's thought that this sort of cloak that it's created actually helps the bird to see the prey in the water because it, it creates a, like a dark trap mm -hmm. that the fish swim into that dark area. Right. And then it gobbles them up. Wow. So an animal that kind of using using a cloak there. And I'd never heard of that before. I thought it was kind of vampire-y. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. That's really clever. So we've, we've spent a lot of time today talking about monsters and sort of mythical animals. But what about here in the UK? This time of year, going into autumn, mm -hmm. are there any spooky things around London, around the UK that we should be looking out for? Yeah, there's all sorts of animals that you can see that people might associate with spookiness. Um, so this is probably around the time that a lot of bats might be your last chance to start seeing them because as winter starts approaching a lot of bats are going to start looking for warmer places um, to sleep um, potentially hibernate so um, if you want to go find some bats get out on a nice clear evening and see if you can uh, find some bats maybe have a listen back to the bat walk episode because you went on yeah. a bat walk didn't you I think Steph told us 10 minutes before sunset mm -hmm. get yourself ready because they'll be coming out fairly soon yep so there you go, maybe get that in before they disappear for the year. Um, spiders, mm. you're probably seeing a lot more spiders in this time of year. You're probably seeing a lot in like outdoor green spaces. If you've got a garden, um, you might see a lot start to appear yes. um, in their webs. Um, in parks, you might see them. You might also start seeing a lot more scuttling around your house. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of people tend to think, oh, it's, it's getting colder. The spider's coming in for warmth. Well, what you're probably seeing is house spiders. Maybe you're seeing giant house spiders if they're particularly big. But chances are they've actually been in your house the entire time in the little nooks and crannies, maybe between the wall cavities, if you've got a, a cellar, and maybe they've been down there. Um, they like those quiet spaces. But the reason you're seeing them is 
because the males are coming out and they're looking for females to mate with. So it's not that they're coming inside, they've already been there. They've been there the whole year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I went on a walk recently and just really quickly, we're running out of time, but I saw lots of different mushrooms and mm. funguses around. It's a good time of year for them as well. Yeah, definitely. You get a lot of mushrooms like to grow because it's the temperature's just about right. Um, so yeah, I've seen a lot of mushrooms recently. Um, one mushroom that I love in particular is called the octopus stink horn. Um, everything octopus apparently I just seem to love. Um, and it's called that because initially it starts off as this weird alien egg um, and then that bursts open, well, doesn't burst, slowly grows out and it looks like octopus tentacles. They're uh, pink and red and that opens up and it's got black goo inside and it's called a stink horn because it smells of rotting meat which attracts flies to spread its spores. They're very rare but you can find them in the UK so have a look. Is that what's on your t-shirt? It is what's in my t-shirt, yeah, I absolutely love them. Octopus stink horn, oh, I think we're going to have to go away and research them. But we are almost out of time for today. Very, very quickly, is there anything that we could be doing to help nature at this time of year as it's getting a bit colder? Yeah, definitely. There's quite a few things you can do. So putting bird seed out, whether it's in feeders on the ground, maybe bird feeders are better as you don't track rats in the city, but birds need that food. Um, lots of hedgehogs around, so if you really want to build a hedgehog house, um, if you're feeling particularly helpful, you can cut gaps under your fence so hedgehogs can actually get through gardens um, because they're doing really they're really struggling because they can't get around um, and as leaves are falling down it actually benefits a lot of wildlife if you just leave them don't tidy it up or put them in a pile because hedgehogs love that um, and insects and things love that as well and do beware because I know fireworks nights coming up if you're going to write bonfires um, just check there's no hedgehogs hiding in piles of wood or leaves if you're going to set fire. So there you have it the Saturday splash gives you permission to have a messy garden or a mess messy park full of leaves near where you are they'll help all the little critters around well, we are right out time we will be back and concluding our spooky splatter, sat, splatter day splash i think nice. that is an episode for the future we'll see you next week